All right, well, good evening, everyone. This is Father Mike Birdsong, and welcome once again to Ending the Curse podcast. And tonight, uh, we are joined uh, with uh, Victor Manson from Trailer Trash Terrors and uh, the Paranormal Rundown. And we're joined with, uh, of course, Josh, Deacon Josh, uh, that joined us in each and every one of our shows, and my right-hand man, and this evening, we are joined by a friend and mentor of mine for, uh, we'll say, 33 years. And his name is the Canon Father, uh, Robert Wills. Uh, he was my uh, seminary uh, professor for, for many years, and uh, he's in the same community that we're in now, and he's part of the Theological Committee, committee excuse me, and uh, the seminary committee. So uh, he, he obviously knows what he's talking about, or at least we hope he does. So uh, without any further ado, uh, Father Bob, why don't you just take a moment and introduce yourself and let us get to know you before we get started. Well, as Father Mike said, I've known him for a very long time. I taught him in seminary and when I came into the Charismatic Episcopal Church, Mike came in with me. We've been in the CEC together since at least 1996, I guess. 95. And 1995, maybe the end of 95, officially 1996. And I serve on the Theological Commission and am have been a member of and a mentor on the seminary committee for the diocese. I teach several seminary classes online. My main purpose in life, even though I have a small local community church, a very small church, uh, my main purpose in life and ministry is to train people for ministry. And that's what I've been doing for the last 30 years or more. Absolutely. And doing very well, I must say, uh, not to toot my own horn, but uh, Bob does a very good job. And he's actually Josh's professor and mentor now as, as well. So uh, the, the circle is continuing to go around. But, but this evening, um, I, I picked a very, a very difficult topic that a lot of people have a hard time in understanding and or believing. But as an opening statement this evening, I wanna, I, I just wanna go ahead and jump right in, Vic, <laughs> and stir the pot right away. How about that? Uh, you, want, you want the laid back mic tonight, Vic, or do you want the fiery mic? Hey, it's your show, whatever you feel inside. <laughs> you know, <laughs> how does the spirit move you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I just, I just think it's funny sometimes when you said, "There's the fiery mic that I like." So <laughs> well, I got to tell you, I think the fiery mic is going to uh, draw more listeners. <laughs> well, I, I can probably guarantee you the fiery mic's going to go ahead and jump out on this one, but, but uh, we'll give a, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give David a minute to jump in. Oh, he's coming in. Great, great. Yeah, he, there he is. There he is. Good hey, evening, David. gentlemen. How are you? Good, how are you? Uh, David, this is uh, the Canon Father Robert Wills. Uh, I know you've heard me mention him Father several Wilkes. times. We've so, talked on the phone once before, briefly. Very good, very good. 
So, just, see just for my edification, since I'm yeah. kind of a dummy, what does canon father mean? It, he is a father. He is a priest, but he is also operating in the office of a canon, uh, meaning he is he operates in the canons of the church. He oversees the canons of the church. Okay. In, in Anglican communion type churches, a canon is usually a priest who has other responsibilities. It's more of a job title, you might say, than a ministry title. So, for example, I'm a canon theologian. You would mm -hmm. have a canon liturgist. The canon liturgist for the diocese would work with the bishop on the liturgy. The canon theologian works with the bishop on theology. A canon missioner helps to establish new churches. A, I don't know, we could have other canons, I guess, but the canons are supposed to work with the bishop and assist the bishop in other functions. They are more specialists, specializing in different things. Okay. Case in point, Vic, we, we have a theological commission, for example, that's made up of right now only about five people, but we basically write theological position papers that are then evaluated by the bishops, and the bishops, if they approve them, these theological papers then are posted online and become official denominational doctrine. Right. Kind of like a case in point, if we had a, if, we, if there was an office for canon exorcist, I would probably a be canon, a canon exorcist, exorcist would be one. Yes, yeah, yeah. that's correct. So, but but let let me open this evening just by stirring the pot just right away. <laughs> uh, <Why laughs> he's laughing already. I like it. Well, I've always I've always I've always wanted to question this, and it's a question that not only needs to be answered, but it, it is a question that deserves to be answered, and and along these lines. I just want to go ahead and say right from the get-go that I don't care if you're Roman Catholic. I mean, I'm not. Y'all, God help me. No, Father Mike's not Roman Catholic. I, I don't care if you're Protestant. Uh, I mean, if we, if, if we want to go back to our roots, we're all Catholic. Just not all Roman Catholic. Uh, I don't care if you're Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, whatever. You're still Catholic. You're still part of the church or the bride of Christ. But but this but I've always had this issue of how I've always wondered how by faith, by faith, okay, that we can believe the scripture that I'm about to read. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. And we're entering into the Advent season, so this is a very appropriate scripture here. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, the one, two, three, four, the, the six of us that are here right now, we know and we've heard that verse many times, right? Especially during this time of year, it's becoming Christmas season, and this is when we, you know, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, and everything is is 
is hopefully good and goodwill and peace toward men, right? <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, th this is this is mm -hmm. great time of year right now, especially for this subject. But it's amazing to me that we can believe that. We can we can believe that that God placed Christ through the Holy Spirit into the womb of a virgin. And God became flesh and dwelt among men, as is said in the Gospel of John. And, and he was the light of all men. And we beheld his glory, the, the glory of the only living Father. Yes, Vic, you're getting the fiery mic tonight. So, all right, so we can believe that. We can believe that, that Christ, when he reached the age and the time of his ministry, spent three and a half years on earth, fully man yet fully God, and performed all these miracles, cleansed the lepers, healed the sick, opened the eyes of the blind, opened the deaf ears, healed the mute. I mean, my God, they tore up a person's roof. They tore up Peter's roof. They, I mean... And, 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 and watched him, watched him say, thou sins all have forgiven thee. We can believe that, right? I and do. And we've, we've, we've all heard the stories, and we believe that. We believe John 3, 16, that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Meaning that when we are away from this fleshly tent, if we look at it, we're more alive then than we've ever been. We believe that. We believe that this guy was crucified. We proclaim it. And on the third day, rose again. We believe that he ascended into heaven. We believe that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. We believe in Romans chapter 8 that, that he is forever making intercession for us. We believe that we are seated with him. We believe that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ through him. But we have a hard time believing this. John chapter 6, verses 51 through 53, and this is the top of tonight and bear with me for just a moment in john chapter 6 ver, uh, verse 50 when it says i am the living bread that came down from heaven whoever eats this bread will live forever the bread is my flesh which i will give for the life of the world and then when he said that verse 52 then the jews began to argue sharply among themselves how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said unto them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now before anybody goes there, I want to point out right away that I'm speaking to the followers of Christ tonight. I'm not speaking to anyone in the worldly view. Okay, I, 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 I'm speaking to the church tonight, and I'm not even saying that every denomination has this issue. But 
Every one of them does. I don't care if you're Protestant or Roman Catholic. But tonight I want to open, I want an open table discussion on the subject of transubstantiation. And before anyone asks, yes, I believe in the real presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist. I believe in the prayer of consecration that the presence of Christ, the Holy Spirit transforms this host and transforms the wine into the Lamb of God himself. In fact, in fact, a little side story here, and Josh is sitting right next to me. There was, there was a Sunday morning when I was doing the Mass that the, the cup, the chalice, the wine that was in the chalice turned from a light, pinkish-looking color to a blood red at the very moment when I said, and sanctify this to be for yourself the body and blood of our Lord. Right before my eyes, I've seen it happen. And there was three other deacons standing with me. So, yes, I'm a believer. Does it still look like wine? Well, it didn't that day. But does at any other time, does it still look like host? Does it still look like wine? Yes. But has the real presence of Christ, has it been transformed? Yes. Why do I believe it? Because the scripture says so. And so I'm not trying, I'm not trying to sway anybody's thoughts tonight, okay? But, but we know that this podcast, we said we're going to talk about the hard things. And I believe that in the church of God, this is one of those hard things that a lot of people don't understand but need to understand. No, God is not promoting cannibalism. Okay? <laughs> Go ahead and laugh, Vic. It's okay. <laughs> God is not promoting cannibalism. But he is saying, this is me. And he said on the night of his own Passover, do this. Not when you get a chance, not when you feel like it, he said, do this in remembrance of me because you're taking of me the one, the true Paschal lamb that your forefathers partook of in the Exodus. So I want to invite the table open now, and I'm a, I am looking for a very interesting conversation and Vic, you go first, since was, you're down the line. I was afraid you were going to say that. Uh, <laughs> I am, I am Roman Catholic. Um, prior to being Roman Catholic, I was, I guess, kind of Lutheran. Although that was really just sort of because that's where my mom and dad went. Didn't really think of myself as being Lutheran. I became Catholic when I was about 14 with one-on-one -on -one instruction from a, an Irish priest named Father John O'Sullivan, who was brilliant beyond anything I had met at the time. He really was a brilliant man. 
I remember at the time being a little puzzled with the whole idea of transubstantiation. But I do remember at that time in my life having a fair amount of... I was innocent. I was open to the idea that if Father O'Sullivan vouches that this is true, and if I look in his eyes and I see sincerity, and I hear that sound in his voice, I'm going to assume it's true. So I, I even at 14, I suppose that's the faith of a, of a little child, which still I think is absolutely just fine. And <clears throat> later in life, I kind of drifted away from the church. Uh, as I've told these gentlemen, Father Wills, I, or Father Bob, I, I, I very, very seriously studied Judaism for several years, very deeply. And it's a very hard thing to become a Jew. It, it, it is a, a very difficult thing. And I finally decided that my efforts to do so were damaging my family. So I <clears throat> stepped back and started re-examining my, my beliefs. As I was going through that path of trying to become a Jew, the opposite happened. My, my internal belief of the divinity of Christ increased <clears throat> above what it was when I was 14. And I remember just one day saying to myself, okay, I'm no longer a skeptic. I am a believer in the divinity of Christ. That was a struggle for me. I can't be the only man in the world for whom that was a struggle. But the idea came into my mind, okay, once you accept the divinity of Christ, and you are accepting that you are a member of the Catholic Church, and that this is doctrine, why is there any reason for you to rebel against that? Why would I go to church to receive communion, make, making sure that I'm in a state of grace, and not believe what I'm doing? It kind of seems like a waste of time. Can I read something? <clears throat> I don't normally read things. Yes, go ahead, go ahead. But this is um, from an article I sent to Father, Father Mike today. <clears throat> the article is called Bread Everlasting. Okay. The great Catholic Southern writer, Flannery O'Connor, in a letter to a close friend, recounts a conversation she had one evening while at dinner with friends. I was once, five or six years ago, taken by some friends to have dinner with Mary McCarthy and her husband, Mr. Broadwater. She departed the church at the age of 15 and is now a big intellectual, and she capitalizes big and intellectual. We went at 8 p.m., and at 1 a.m. I hadn't opened my mouth. Not a single time there being nothing for me in such company to say. Well, toward the morning, the conversation turned to the Eucharist, which I, being the Catholic, was obviously supposed to defend. Mrs. Broadwater said when she was a child, she had received the host. She thought of it as the Holy Ghost, he being the most portable person of the Trinity. I think that's a funny line. <clears throat> now... She thought of it as a symbol, 
and implied that it was a pretty good one. I then said in a very shaky voice, well, if it's a symbol, to hell with it. That was all the defense I was capable of, but I realize now that this is all I will ever be able to say about it, except that it is the center of existence for me. All the rest of life is expendable. Now, I'm not sure that I have the, the depth of faith that Flannery O'Connor had. I think that says it all. I don't, I don't consider the rest of life expendable, though. <laughs> I, 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 but that Point has there, been... there, but... Yeah, yeah, that if, has if been it's my, not real. The hell with it. That has been my view for a long time. If I'm going to be a Catholic, and if I'm going to, you know, follow the tenets of the Church, the Church Fathers, uh, Aquinas, Augustine, this is the body and blood of Christ. And if I, that's not the case, why am I wasting my time? And I fully agree with that point. And and. You know, I, I'm not saying that <clears throat> something has to, and I'm very interested before we get to Father Bob, but I want to hear David's uh, thoughts as well. But before we get to David, on on backing up of the article, <clears throat> at first I took that phrase out of context, but when you sent me the explanation in the article, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm going to send that article also to Father Bob where, where he can read it too because it, 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 it really points out a great stand of faith, should I say. Because because if you read the whole article, you understand why she said, if it's not real, the hell with it. Mm-hmm. Because, it, it. because it came apart to her that no matter what the church tenant says. You with me? Mm-hmm no matter what the early church fathers said, <clears throat> this is what God himself has said. This Correct. is what God the Holy Spirit has said. God the Son has said. And if it's not real, hell with it. And I don't think that one could come to such a conclusion if it had not become a passion to them agreed the 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 because when i read the article i could see the i could see the passion that she was thinking i -hmm. could see the desire that she was thinking it kind of reminded me of the old story of saint joan of arc that so wanted the body and blood that she would run into the church and just take it as a young child. Mm. I didn't know that story. Oh, yeah. She would would run into the church. Well, the story goes, she ran into the church one day and and was taking it. And then the priest called and said, hold on, let's do it in order. (laughs) (laughs) But but whether it's true or not i don't know i i really don't care but it makes it makes good for a good story but uh but shouldn't that be if if we call ourselves believers should we not be a believer to the point to where nothing else matters and if it's not true the hell with it that's been my view. I I can remember 
literally, look, I'm a very weird person, but I, I remember literally probably the first 50 times that I took communion, you know, wanting to feel something inside of something has changed within me. And the truth is, I was so new and so young and so uh, unfamiliar with the church that it took it took years for me to feel that. And <clears throat> I never did really question the, question the belief, question the the doctrine. But I was probably thirty when I first took communion and felt something change within me at that time. What, what, well, since you brought that up, if you don't mind me asking, what, what changed? What, when you said you, and you probably can't put it into words if you can't just say, I, I can can't. put it into, I can it? kind of put it into words. Um, <clears throat> what I finally realized was, Most of my prayer happens here, silently. It's just me thinking, contemplating, asking. Very, it's very disordered. But that's, <laughs> but that's how my brain is. It's just. <laughs> well, let me just go ahead and, 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 and rest your mind. There's nothing disordered about prayer. <laughs> Uh, Self-contemplation, whether you're whether you're being audible or not, uh, you're still communicating with God. So be at peace. There. And so here, here's the other thing. I mean, I I know that when I say the rosary, I mean I'm saying the the prayers of the rosary, but I'm also saying other prayers along with them as as I as I go. Anyway, I was one of those guys who I wouldn't leave mass after the mass was over. Okay, I just sit there in my in my pew or kneeling on the uh, on the cushion you know until i hurt my knee um <laughs> but i realized that the the efficacy of my prayer was greatly enhanced after taking communion than before taking communion and that's what that was the difference that i felt was that some element of my faith is stronger than it was, or some part of me is more able to connect with that faith than I was prior to receiving the host. You're you're quiet. You're silenced. Am I there now? You are there now. Okay, well, but that's the whole purpose of Holy Eucharist, is that... If, if there if there comes a point in time, uh, and Father Bob, correct me if I'm wrong about the way I'm about to put this, but I would dare say if there ever comes a time that you are taking Holy Eucharist or communion and you don't walk away stronger or feeling different, uh, there needs to be some, uh, some serious uh, self in look and in look is not even a word self-analysis self uh self-reflection 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 that's what i'm looking for there mm -hmm. needs to be some serious self-reflection 
okay, uh, uh, what is either something wrong with me or there's something wrong with someone else? What What's the deal? And probably 99.9% .9 of the time, if you walk away from partaking of holy mass, there's a there's, there's a heart problem somewhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, but but at any rate, David, my man, how are you? I'm doing good, doing good. Give me some um, thoughts, sir. Let's stir this pot open. Well. So experience-wise, you also have to realize that I was baptized this year, right? So I have, uh, I've had the Eucharist once. And, That's okay. But, but I have a long history in Protestant churches, right? And that's where most of my experience and, and most of my, uh, where a lot of my beliefs lie. Let me, so, let, if I, I'm, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Uh, but before we went any, before we go on any further, I want everyone to know that myself and Cannon Wills, we both were Protestant big time. We were taught anything that looks like quote unquote Catholic is of the devil. <laughs> so I understand. <laughs> and, 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 Maybe but, sometimes you'll you'll talk about that transition because that's uh, well, it's crazy because it was a dream <clears throat> that Father. Anyway, uh, I had that explained to Father Bob. <laughs> he thought I gone crazy, but he was laughing at me because he said, "No, let me tell you a story." Anyway, that's the whole other thing. All right, go ahead, David. I'm not going to no, run down okay. this rabbit trail. Go ahead. So my growing up with it was always as a symbolic. Uh, experience, right? Even though I wasn't participating because I wasn't baptized, you know, I'd see it. And that was my understanding of it. I know that I've told Vic this before. I might have told you as well, Father Mike, but, you know, my faith doesn't rest on either side of this perspective, this argument, this uh, interpretation. Uh, I'm okay if either of them is correct. And that's because, you know, my belief is in Christ and I do not see a requirement that I believe it one way or another in order to be saved. Now, the verse you brought up is interesting, but it also could be taken, I would assume, and I haven't seen a interpretation of that specific verse by, uh, you know, the one I listen to the most is John MacArthur. Um, he was talking about some other stuff I listened to today to try to get some background, freshen my memory up. But, you know, my guess is he would say something like uh, that was allegory or something along those lines. Right. It was not meant to be a literal interpretation of it. I don't know. Uh, do you have to have 
participated in the Eucharist, taken the Eucharist in order to be saved? Is that what we're saying with that? I, it doesn't seem that way to me. But what I will say, when I look at uh, Catholic ritual processes, and I compare that to Baptist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, all the places I've been, there is a there is something very special about the Eucharist in the way that it's treated that I feel is missing in most of the other churches. And there's a reverence there that I think could be there in the other, whether you believe in transubstantiation or not. I think that the focus on it could be more there in the Protestant churches, and it would be a better experience. Uh, you know, most of them, it's like, oh, it's what we do once a month. And, you know, we we break out the, the wine, the, you know, the little glasses, and we pass them around and all that. But there there is, there's a reverence there to the Mass that that I do really appreciate. So I think there's a beauty to it. But for me, I don't feel like I have to believe that it is the body and the blood of Christ transubstantiated right there. Uh, for my faith, it doesn't seem necessary. And I can I can fully understand that. And uh, but uh, and see, here's the unfortunate part. I can accept that view from you. And that's I, good. It's the only one I've got. No, well, no, no, no. But 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 no no. But seriously, I I can understand that, and I can even understand that if it came from more people. But unfortunately, for the past over two thousand years, that has been a big, big argument, uh, especially. When we got around, I'm about to get in trouble because my mentor's in front of me. Uh, probably right before the Council of Nicaea, around the time of 325, when Arianism was a big religion, when Christ, quote unquote, all of a sudden mysteriously no longer existed as being the son of God. Uh, the, the area of transubstantiation came relevant to everyone all of a sudden, like, well, we, we know now that it was just a ploy of the enemy to divide even the early church. And I, I have a couple of quotes that Josh showed me earlier that I wanted him to share, but, and I'll let him do that for just a minute. But, I want, I want to take just a moment with what I just said about the Council of Nicaea in Arianism and Holy Eucharist and turn it over to Father Bob for a couple of minutes and let him uh, explain a couple of things because I see him stirred in the background. I see the fire rising up in his bones. So go ahead, Father Bob. All right. When you're looking at historically, I go back to what one of the church fathers says, because I think it's a very wise statement. 
Vincent of Lyrens, who was writing in the fourth century, this would be after the Nicene Consul, but it was be about the time of St. Augustine of Hippo, that sort of thing. Anyway, he was writing about what is Catholicity, and by that he meant what is the doctrine that we should follow that we should not be deceived into other beliefs? You know, what, what should we really believe about God? And there were three areas, of course, the Bible. What do we believe about the Bible? Our church practice. What, we, what do we believe about the practices that we do? And then the third area was our theology. What is our understanding of God, of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit, and everything like that? And Vincent said there were three things that we look at in all of these cases. And what we're talking about today is really our practice, the practice of Eucharist, the practice of Holy Communion, but it also involves the theology behind it. But it also involves the underlying scripture that Father Mike started with today. So what do we look at? What did Vincent say? He said, we judge these things by antiquity, by universality, and by consensus or consent. Now, the, the antiquity means you go back to the beginning. What did the church teach from the very beginning? Well, when Jesus gave the Last Supper to his disciples, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood that was shed for you. And he, he actually gave the disciples the impression that they were eating and drinking the body and blood of Christ. And of course, St. Paul, when he gives his talk about what is Holy Communion, what they call Holy Communion or Eucharist or Mass, he says basically the same thing. And he says, this is what was delivered unto me, and I'm going to give it to you. So in other words, what he's teaching was given to him. So we go back to the very beginning. What did the church always believe? At one point, St. Paul, in chiding the church at Corinth, actually says, You've, you're not coming together to take the body and blood of Christ and basically to take communion. That was the whole purpose of getting together. And he's saying, you're not doing this. The implication there is that there's really no other reason to get together except to start with the body and blood of Christ. The early church always did that. We know from history that many priests and deacons were ordained or consecrated and gave one Eucharist and then were taken off and executed as martyrs, things like that. So the church always believed this from the very beginning. Now, the second test of Vincent of Lyrens was universality. What has the church believed in every area of the world, in every part of, the, of Christendom? When we look at orthodoxy, when we look at the Roman Catholic Church, when we look at the Anglican communions, when we look at the Coptic Church, when we look at um, even the Nestorian churches in, in the East, all of these believed in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And up until the Protestant Revel Reformation, there was really not a lot of questioning about the presence of Christ in the Eucharist. 
So universality. And then the last one is consent or consensus. And this is where um, we have to be in consensus with the denomination or the church or the leadership that we are under. And what do they believe? What is what is your church teaching, for example? And is that teaching biblical? Is that teaching theologically sound? Those are some things that we have to look at. So when we're talking about the body and blood of Christ and the real presence of Christ, those would be some tests that we would look at. In my own experience, I grew up a Protestant, a Baptist, became a Pentecostal, became a charismatic, and then joined the charismatic Episcopal Church because God told me to, literally. And that's another story. But the, but it starts way back. When I was born in 1950, I was a premature baby. I was underweight. My lungs were not fully developed. They put me in an incubator, and I was literally dying from not being able to get enough oxygen, even though they were pumping oxygen at me. It was Little Company of Mary Hospital in Evergreen Park, Illinois. as a Roman Catholic hospital. And the nun went and got a priest. The priest came to do last rites over me. When the oil of the last rites touched my head, all of a sudden, my lungs started breathing normally. And everything changed immediately. The priest came out and my father said to the priest, do you think my son's going to make it? The priest looked at him and said, oh yeah, he's going to grow up and be a priest one day. My father said, that's impossible. We're Baptist. My father told me that story the day he was at my ordination when I was ordained a priest in 1997. The uh, Growing up in the Baptist church, I was not allowed to take communion until I was baptized. And they wouldn't baptize me until I joined the church, until I went down and shook the pastor's hand and joined the church. I didn't understand that because I, I thought I was a Christian from the time I was born. I mean, God saved me right then. I mean, I really believe that. I God, God literally saved me. I grew up knowing nothing but Jesus. You know, I mean, I prayed every day from the time I could speak. And my mother read the scripture to me and my mother and father every night before I went to bed. And so this was just a normal thing in my life. But the church kept saying I needed to get saved and all this kind of thing. And finally, I gave up and went down and joined the church. And then they baptized me. I was about 11 years old. And hey, uh, then one, they gave me. One second, Bob. One second. If the way I am these days, if I don't say it, I'll forget it. But Vic. Will you write down for us the subject of uh, child baptism? Yeah, sure. A as a future. <clears throat> yep. That's a great argument. Oh, that opens up a, a whole can oh, of worms. Oh, another can of, can of worms. I'm you just want to dance across all the controversies on that right now. Yeah, we're <laughs> our theological mission is trying to come up with a with a um, three streams on baptism but that's a whole nother story all right go but ahead bob i'm sorry when i took when, when i took the holy communion as an 11 year old afterward i came home and i said to my mother i said that was so great getting the body and blood of christ and my mother said well you know it was just it was probably just symbolic so i went up to church the next week and i asked the pastor i said 
when you served the body and blood of Christ last week, was it real or was it symbolic? And he says, well, it was, it's figurative, it's symbolic. And I said, well, I don't quite understand that because if the real presence of Christ is in our life because you, you said if we are born again, Christ is in our lives, he, he's with us always. And I said, does not the scripture say that where two or three are gathered in his name, he's in the midst of them? If that's the case, why is Christ not in the in the Holy Communion? And the pastor looked at me and says, you'll understand that someday when you grow up. <laughs> well, I couldn't understand how it could be, how Christ could not be in the Holy Communion if Christ was in us when we got born again, and I assumed he was in us when we got baptized, I assumed Christ was in baptism. I knew that Christ was in the anointing of oil because when the oil hit my head, I came alive. So I always wondered, why is Christ in all these other things, but he's not in, he's not in the body and blood of Christ? It didn't make sense to me. And then what really what really solidified it is when I started studying the church fathers. I was working on a doctorate and I started reading the Antonicene fathers, read the whole thing. One day I didn't we were poor, I didn't have any money to buy books or anything like this. And a truck pulled up in our yard and they brought in all these boxes of books. It turned out that we had done a lot of business because I'd been teaching with a seminary and we'd done a lot of business ordering books from a certain book company. Well, as a reward, that book company gave me the entire set of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, of the Church Fathers. Yeah, they gave me the whole set. And so I sat down and started reading them. Talk about heavy reading now. That, yeah, that's that's, that's uh... something that you don't do for fun. But it changed my perspective on everything. And again, going to back to what Vincent of Liren said, we have to go back to antiquity, universality, and then consensus. And I'm, I'm looking at, I'm saying, well, the presence of Christ is in antiquity. The presence of Christ is in universality because it's been believed all around the world. And the presence of Christ is in consensus because there's a lot of people that are taking it today and they're believing it. Absolutely. So I right. said, yeah. so that, that solidified it for me. Now I'll say one other thing. I think sometimes our confusion comes because we have these terminologies like transubstantiation, consubstantiation, and we try to figure it out. We try to put it Reason. into a way that we can understand it when the truth of the matter is there are some things as the Eastern Orthodox Church says that are mysteries that are not meant to be understood. They just are. And I sort of look at this whole idea of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist as being one of those mysteries. I don't really try to explain it or understand it because I think it's, as David said, it can be figurative, but it can also be real. In other words, you can see it both ways. It can be both figurative and at the same time be the real presence of Christ. I think it, it goes can be back. 
I, yeah, I think it can it be goes both. Back to where Saint Paul states this argument, <clears throat> and and all you guys have heard me say this before, but there 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 comes a time to where all reason just has to blow out the window, and there's some things that we just have to understand unfortunately but as well believe as or by faith and he says he speaking of christ himself this great mystery as father bob was just saying which has been hidden from ages to generations now now by the book uh, by the by the teachings of the old testament law and prophets we we know that that the type and shadow of Christ's own Passover was the Passover of Exodus. We know that that lamb that was slain then, that they spread the blood upon the lentils of the door and, and they even partook. So that body and that blood was even partaking of in the Exodus as a type of shadow of what was about to come. And, and sometimes we can intellectually understand things but to really get it sometimes we have to gain it by faith and let it become revelation to us now uh, father bob also mentioned the early church fathers and before we go any further i want i want josh to read this because you you guys have heard me say many times that if if it's not in scripture or if the holy spirit does not speak we turn toward the church fathers and the reason why we turn toward the church fathers is because they were taught by christ or by the apostles of christ and so I, i'm going to have him read just two little short uh sentences So this first one's from St. Augustine. It's the Lord Jesus, one of those whose eyes were held last, they should recognize him. To recognize him in the breaking of the bread, the faithful know what I am saying. They know Christ in the breaking of the bread, for not all bread, but only in which the blessing of Christ becomes Christ's body. The second is from St. John Chrysostom. It is not man that causes the things offered to become the body and blood of Christ, but he who was crucified for us, Christ himself. The priest in the role of Christ pronounces these words, but their power and grace are God's. This is my body, he says. This word transforms the things offered. And that's the point to where I want to... I want to open this part of of the Holy Scriptures as well. How, do y'all remember the disciples that were, uh, you know, the story about the disciples that were on the road to Emmaus? You remember that? Uh, right after the uh, resurrection of Christ, there's two disciples traveling, and they were traveling back home to Emmaus, and uh, they run across this person, so to speak. And they, they, the, the person asked them where they're going and, and what's been going on. And, 
they ask him, well, ha have you not seen? Have you not heard? And they started explaining the whole life of Christ to Christ himself and didn't even know it. Now, that's key point number one. They, they didn't know it. And so, so Christ begins to expound upon the law and the prophets and starts teaching them. And so, so at any rate, Christ is saying, okay, it's time for me to go away, but they urge him, they urge him to stay just a little while longer. Hey, come on in, let's, let's have dinner, right? And then all of a sudden, they're in somebody's home. Uh, Bob, you can clear this all up for me because it's a jumbled mess in my mind. But um, they're in this home, and then they're, they're about to eat. And Christ just takes over and starts celebrating Holy Eucharist. So fast forward to the end, Christ is gone, but the disciples looked at each other and said, didn't our hearts burn at the breaking of the bread? In other words, something happened. And I brought up this subject because it's a very controversial subject at times, and there's been many there's been many schism over this subject. And I don't understand why. Because when it boils down to it, it's Christ. Yes, I believe it is the real presence of Christ there. That's my interpretation of Holy Scripture. Is it, is it based upon your whether you're born again or not, if you do or not? Well, that goes with what you've been taught all your life. And if we've been taught wrong, well, okay. But do you know who Christ is? And so this whole gray area of transubstantiation or consubstantiation or now, I, I there's just a, the the spirit of God within me will not say it's just a memorial, okay? Because that's not scriptural. However, but they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? And what led me to the person that I am today and to where I am today in the passion that I have for Holy Eucharist is the Eucharist. It is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And yes, Vic, I will share that story uh, about what brought me to where I am because it has everything to do with that. The, the Where I am today has everything to do with the lamb of God. But something happens inside of us when we gain revelation that I have, I have partaking of the very presence of God. 
And if we go back to the very beginning, I'm not talking about the beginning of Christ's ministry. I'm talking about to the beginning of all time. Is that not what God has wanted the whole time? Even in the teaching of Christ saying, I'm the vine. To be a part of me, Christ is saying, you have to partake of me. That's in the Gospels. That's in, in just about every parable that Christ speaks. If you pay attention, it's about partaking of him. Now, I say that in deep fear because my canon theologian is right here in front of me. But, <laughs> but, but that's Mike, what it's about. There's one other thing here. There's one other thing here that ties into this. In John 1.12, it says, As many as received him to them gave he the power, the right to become the sons of God. And to receive Christ, we become his children. Okay, if we have received Christ, then why is it hard to believe that with Christ is in us, why is he not in the Eucharist? Now, when he broke the bread, he said, this do in remembrance of me. You remember that? He said, this do in remembrance of me. The word remembrance, anamnesis, means more than just remembering something with your mind. It's an actual reliving it or going back and becoming a part of it. The whole understanding of this means that when we break the bread, when we partake of Holy Communion, Eucharist, Mass, whatever you want to call it, when we partake of the body and blood of Christ, what we're doing is we are actually participating in it with him as he gave it to his disciples in the Last Supper. We all believe in the Last Supper, don't we? We believe that Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. And so in amnesis, in the remembrance, we're going back and we're participating in this with them. We are actually participating in this with them. It's the same concept as this idea of the communion of saints, that we believe that as we are praising God on earth, the saints are praising God in heaven. Do we not believe that? And the same thing is true here in the Eucharist. When we participate in the Eucharist, we are participating, in a sense, in the Last Supper of Christ. And so if he said, this is my body, this is my blood, and it was that, it was true for them, it must be true for us as well. Isn't that, isn't that, what, isn't that what the word liturgical or liturgy means as well? The... the well, it, it means the work of the people. people. Liturgy is exactly. the work of the people. And so is that not what we're all about? Is that not what we're all about? The worship of the people? I mean, is that not what we're to do? So at any rate. Well, when, when you look at, for example, the calling of St. Paul in Acts chapter 13, when he was sent out with, Barnabas, 
they were doing the liturgy. They were literally, according to the Greek, they were doing liturgia. They were doing the liturgy at the time. In other words, they were participating in the Holy Communion service, the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ was being served. At I believe at the time, the, the wording to me in Acts chapter 13 is that as they were participating in the body and blood of Christ, all of a sudden it was prophesied, send out Paul and Barnabas to do the work of the ministry. And they were sent out by the leaders, the elders of that church. Right. So when you partake of the Eucharist, yeah, I believe something supernatural does happen. Sometimes God appoints people for ministry. Sometimes God heals people. Sometimes God saves people. I baptized a little girl about a year ago, nine-year-old girl. The next Sunday, she came to church. After we did the baptism, we came back to the, we, they wanted to be baptized by immersion, so we did it in a creek. After we did the baptism, we came back to the church and had a Eucharist and continued the baptismal service there. And, and when we finished the next day, that was on a Saturday, next day was Sunday, the little girl came to church and she came up to me. She says, Father Bob, Father Bob, I need, I need the Eucharist real bad, real bad. It did something to her. Uh, and, and every time she comes to ch church, you just see her smile when she comes to the table of the Lord. Um, she wants the body and blood of Christ. You see, it does something to you. It, well, that's the very reason why I wanted to have this discussion tonight. Not only because we discuss, quote unquote, what I said, the hard things. Because if we look at it, this subject is really not that hard. It's just something that nobody wants to talk about. And, and that is a shame because we let a term called transubstantiation divide the body of Christ and cause schisms. And that's why we have a million denominations today. I mean, I know that's over-exaggeration. I mean, I know there's not a million, but that that's what happens. And what basically all that matters is that little girl that gave her life to Christ and was baptized and was raised to new life in him. That's what matters at the end of the day. I don't give a hoot. I clean that up very nicely about somebody's argument because I'm not going to argue Christ with anyone. To do that is futile, but, but to acknowledge him is a whole different story. And I can acknowledge him and be a part of a greater kingdom. To me, at the end of the day, that's what means most. But to, but, but, however, to have an understanding and to gain revelation of why I do what I'm doing that's a whole nother point too. And I think there's times to where it's best for the children of God to seek out knowledge on why we do the things we do in order to gain a more deeper 
relationship with Christ. Case in point, uh, and, and please forgive me for running down a rabbit hole, but Vic said something at the, at the very beginning of the podcast. And when I say this, I want to I wanna hear his reply. But he said that sometimes his prayer is just in his mind. Now, let me, I got something to say about that. Because sometimes we can't put things into words. And secondly, you guys have heard me say this many times that Christians make Christianity complicated. And I know the rebuttal to that, but Christians should not make Christianity complicated because it is not complicated. We make it complicated. We as human beings with a rational human mind, we make things complicated. But however, with what Vic said, we cannot discount the Holy Scripture that um, is written in the, I think it's the third chapter of Zephaniah the prophet Zephaniah, and the prophet says, be silent in the presence of the Lord. Because there comes a time that we have to be silent, because if we're not silent, we're not hearing. And so I say all of that, not only in retrospect of what Vic said, but to also say this whole point about receiving Christ himself, let's not make it complicated and be that little girl. That little girl that said, Father Bob, I need the Eucharist today. Bad. Bad. Real bad. <laughs> I need it real bad. I mean, see, isn't, isn't that what it's all about, guys? Go ahead, Vic. Well, I mean, once again, I mean, that's the, the faith of a little child. I mean, literally the faith of a little child. <clears throat> and... I read one time that Mother Teresa, in fact, I was reading one of the things she wrote, and she said, she had a diary, and she would occasionally write things like, I don't feel the presence of God at all. I mean, she, she was somebody who definitely had diminishment in her faith at times, you know, real struggles, you know, of not feeling connected to God at all. <clears throat> I guess I've heard people say dryness in prayer when uh, when that's happening to you. So <clears throat> I haven't felt that in a long time. I'm glad. The once again, though, I mean, <clears throat> what it's about? Why? What did she need the Eucharist bad for? What was what was going to be different from the time that she didn't have the Eucharist to the time that she did? My statement is that she's probably feeling more in touch with her faith after that, after receiving the Eucharist. And that's a, that's a powerful feeling. I'm sorry, I was unmuting myself. That's okay. Well, I, I, have, I have only one answer for that. Mm -hmm. Life. Okay. That Saturday... She felt, as a little girl, as young as she was, 
for the very first time, life. Christ said, I have come that you may have what? Life. Life. And life more what? Abundantly. Abundant. And so how how much more by partaking of Christ can you have life? And Mother Teresa, at those weakest moments, where did she turn to? Holy Eucharist. Mm -hmm. And so the that takes us right guys that takes us right back to the scriptures once more and i'm sorry but when it comes to holy scripture there's no refuting it there is life in christ's body and blood there is life in christ there is life in christ at the beginning there is life in christ at the ending so as the psalmist said, whether you make your bed in hell or in heaven, there's only one life, and that's through him. And so, and so that, that, just, that just takes this whole conversation to the main point of what it's worth at all. And that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Josh is handing me something right now. Okay, it is, it is, it is, what is, 3-7? Oh, excuse me, uh, Zephaniah 1-7. Be silent before the face of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. For the Lord hath prepared a victim, he has sanctified his guest. Now, what did that just say, guys? First of all, be silent so you can gain revelation. For the day of the Lord is near, meaning the passion of Christ. For the Lord has prepared a victim, the Lamb, who is Christ, and he has sanctified his guest, who is us. That is Eucharist 101, right there. And so, so that's, that's what this whole conversation just boils down to. And, and So the... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, so the argument I heard today in the sermons that I listened to is about that sacrifice that was made once for us. And the disagreement that that sacrifice needs to be made over and over again repeatedly through the Eucharist. So, so Father Bob, you said something interesting, which is that remembrance was remembrance of the Last Supper, right? Okay, I see that. That's I can appreciate that. Uh, what what he was talking about was a a remembrance of the sacrifice, not a remembrance, but an actual re-sacrificing Christ over and over again in the Eucharist. That's the way that it appears, if that makes sense, right? So you're you're bringing Jesus down, you're sacrificing him again, and and giving out the body and the blood, and 
the point was that that sacrifice took place once and it only needed to take place once and never again. So how do you square that up? What What is the relationship there between the sacrifice of Christ and the Eucharist? Does that question make sense, what that, I'm trying to ask? That question makes a lot of sense, and I, okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give a very short answer, but I want, I want Bob to, to expound upon it. It is not that the, the book of Hebrews tells us that it is impossible for one to, I can't quote it, forgive me, but the book of Hebrews would remind us that it's impossible for one that has tasted the salvation of the Lord and to walk away from it and return it again. I think it's Hebrews 5 or something like that, but at, at, at any rate, uh, uh, Josh will find it for me or someone will. But but what that is implying, and I hear I hear 100% what you're saying, and I agree with that, okay? But I need to agree with it in context because, because the when it comes to Holy Eucharist, when it comes to that remembering, it comes to that word amnesis that Bob told us not too long ago. And, and what that implies is that you are not, you are not re-crucifying Christ, okay? Um, especially if you read the 1 Corinthians chapter 11 part of what St. Paul talks about Holy Eucharist. He, that's where he states that Father Bob mentioned not too long ago, from, from what I received, I now give to you. This whole remembrance thing it is not a re-crucifying per se of Christ. What it is, is a every Lord's Day, we're giving thanks, okay? That remembrance is giving thanks, and therefore we are participating in what Christ told us to participate in every Lord's Day. So when we join together as the bride of Christ, when we join together as the people of God, as we join together as the church of God, each and every Lord's Day, we are giving praise and we're in reminding ourselves that's the key word that we need to understand by this act by this by this token of our own covenant we are remembering and reminding ourselves the sacrifice that of Christ's passion for us by which very important here by which we gain our strength we gain our focus we gain our victory and we do what christ prayed in his prayer give us this day our daily what bread bread and that bread is his body and so that's what we have to remember each and every Lord's Day as we move forward in this race called life. Because if because if because by that great mystery, if you will, that Saint Paul talked about, Christ in you, the hope of glory, if I if I don't have Christ in me, 
I'm not going to make it. Yeah, but Christ doesn't have to be in you physically, right? I mean, I Christ in you to me is as much the the Holy Spirit in you as anything else, right? It, it, exactly. But the it is it is by Holy Eucharist, okay, that we are reminded. Not only not only mentally, but spiritually, and physically, and emotionally, by partaking of what Christ said, do this. In what remembrance of me? Do this. There's a simple way. There's a simple way to look at this, Father Mike. Don't we all take photographs? We all take pictures with our phones, right? With cameras videos right why do we do that why why do we take pictures hold on that why do people why do people want to record certain events for example when i went on a long trip in 2000 to england with my wife we took a lot of video we took a lot of pictures i took over 800 pictures why did i do that we want to remember certain things now, when we look at those pictures or videos, in a sense, we are reliving an experience that mm-hmm. we had. We're remembering it in our mind. We're reliving it. We're not doing the experience over again. We're not actually going there and doing it again. The, the same thing, David, is, is true in the Eucharist. We are remembering what happened and we're participating in what happened in a sense of orienting our minds and our hearts and our spirits to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Bob, I, th- that I think doesn't a very mean important that we're sacrificing a, him again. A key word is participating. Yeah, we're, we're not necessarily sacrificing him again. Now, some people believe that, but I, I don't subscribe to that belief. And so you're right, David, that some people actually believe that every time we do the Eucharist and consecrated that we're sacrificing Christ over again. I look at it entirely differently. I look at it in the sense of the way a lot of the Orthodox people look at it, that this is simply a remembering, reliving, retelling the story of Christ in a way to keep it fresh in our memories. You know, they, they say that people that have dementia or Alzheimer's that if you show them videos and pictures and things like that on a daily basis, it helps them. (laughs) And I believe that as we partake of the Eucharist on a daily basis, but as often as possible, I believe that this strengthens our faith and it brings more clarity to our thinking about our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I think, we would all agree that all of this is really about one's relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So I would 100% agree with everything you just said, but it doesn't have to physically become him in order for that remembrance and uh, revitalization, revitalization in your life to continue to happen, right? I, I think I think we're we're, we're <laughs> I think one, once again 
what he's going to say is, is I'm making Christianity complicated. Hello. He's, he says that to me Hello. a lot. <laughs> I, I, when, when we go let, back let to me, the analogy of hold, the, hold of on, the Bob, pictures hold on. or the, the... Okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Bob. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. If we go back to the analogy of the pictures and the videos and this sort of thing, we're not, we're not in a sense, recreating them, but they are a tangible object that as we watch them, the presence of the people involved is always the same. The presence of the people involved is always there. When we partake of the Eucharist, the presence of Christ is always there because he was there originally, because the presence of Christ was at the Last Supper, was at the celebration of the early church and the breaking of the bread, Christ was revealed. And in that sense, Christ is present every time we participate in this. Now, how this happens, when exactly it happens, that is all a matter of theology that doesn't really matter at all. I mean, I, I again, I looked at, I look at the Orthodox point of view. It just is. It's a mystery. It just is. I just know that as I partake of the Eucharist, I am remembering and participating in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And it is strengthening my faith. And I believe that Christ is really there. But see, I believe Christ is in the anointing of the oil, too. I believe Christ is in the baptism. I exactly believe Christ what I was going to say. A lot of these things. So, yeah. so that was going to take that back to your original point when, when you said that, right? Christ was there, those other things. And uh, I, someone made this comment to me not too long ago. They said, well, this is. It, the uh, consecrating the Eucharist brings Christ into the church. And I said, but well, now wait a second. So where two or more so people gather in my exactly. name, I am there. Christ exactly. is already, already in the, the church. church. Exactly. So from, from that standpoint, I have absolutely no problem believing Christ is in the Eucharist because he is in everything holy, right? I believe, well, in everything, but in, you know, I, I believe that he's there from that standpoint standpoint i think where people get caught up is the idea that this is this is physically becoming his flesh and you are participating in a sacrifice no. right just like a sacrificing of a lamb you're now you know taking that sacrifice again and i think that's where the real hang-up is outside of that and again my point of view is, is I'm not really no, hung up no, either way, no, <laughs> but, no, 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 but, but I but, see that perspective. It, it makes sense to me. You are, you are absolutely, let me read this to you. For it is impossible for those who were once illuminated or meaning, you know, those that gained revelation have tasted also the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost have moreover tasted the good word of God in the powers of the world to come and are fallen away to be renewed again to penance, crucifying again themselves the Son of God and making him a mockery. That is not the whole purpose of Holy Eucharist. 
And yes, I agree. Christ's real presence is in baptism. Mm -hmm. Christ's real presence is in Holy Communion. Christ's real presence is in confirmation. Christ's real presence is in holy unction. Christ's real presence is in confession. Christ's real presence is in the sacrament of marriage. And what each and every one of these seven sacraments that were created by God and instituted by Christ himself has one thing in purpose, and that's life. So, yes, I agree with you. And the whole point, I'm loving this podcast tonight because it's doing exactly what I wanted it to do. We have taken one simple word that has divided the body of Christ. Now, us, this little core group that we have tonight, we know better than that. We can sit around and discuss this and hear one another. But through the last 2,000 years, Dave, this has been a topic that split God's bride. This word, transubstitution, and Father Bob, forgive me for what I'm about to say, but has caused many divorces with God. Think about it. People have lost their faith and lost their way and become angry and walked away from the church of God because of one little word. Case in point. That's why I don't ever use that word, Mike. Exactly. I don't ever use that word. I just say, That's why I just I say, say the this real is presence. the body and blood of Christ. Exactly. And, and see, but see, we, we can't, we, we got to get to a point in the kingdom of God to where we're not afraid to use a correct, uh, a correct term. And also, also this. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, case in point. How many of you have ever heard someone look at a crucifix and hear someone say, well, you know Jesus still ain't on the cross. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I've heard that I many, mean, many times. You know what? <clears throat> I thank God he didn't come down from the damn cross. I thank God he didn't come down. Now ask me why. Well, I was thinking before asking. Yeah. I thank God he didn't come down. Well, because if he would have if he would have come down, the sacrifice was never made. Right. Yes, of course. Yeah, but I, I, I think that the the perspective of the empty cross is... Exactly. You said it. Yeah, but it is about him having risen. He's yes. beyond the crucifixion now. But, Not that he came down and didn't complete the, the, yeah. but the, the sacrifice. Whole, the, but, but the whole purpose of the crucifix... See, we have both in our church. I have a crucifix that hangs in certain times of the year, and we have the risen Christ, which hangs certain times of the year. Hmm. 
And <clears throat> but the times the, the the purpose of the crucifix is this it's the same thing of icons. No, we don't worship blooming pictures. Okay, let's get that out of our mind. So any anybody that thinks any Catholic person worships pictures, get that out of your mind. That's a topic for another. That's another podcast. one exactly. Well, we're going to invite Father Wheels back for icons. That's his ballpark, not mm -hmm. mine. But uh, hold on, Josh. Oh, I'm in iconography. Yeah. Uh, Excellent. But, but but the purpose the purpose of the crucifix is not to keep reminding us of his death, but it is just once again, just like Holy Eucharist, one of those reminders of what he did for you. I can wear this crucifix as a reminder that Christ died for me. So I uh and and it is about perspective, right? Um I understand why people see the crucifix as this focus on the negative on the death as opposed to the rising and and the life, right? I get that that also doesn't mean that remembering the sacrifice itself is not valid. They are both valid points of view, and I love the fact that your church does both. Yeah, one, um, one. The reason why we do it, Dave, is 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 twofold. Not only to remember, but to have a vi a visual a visual sign and symbol it's one thing to remember something but when you see it or hear it or smell it or taste it yeah it takes or it to impact. a new level right yes. yeah mm -hmm. and that that's the whole that's the whole purpose of the crucifix that's the whole purpose of 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 the stations of the cross that we have in our church is it takes you through it takes you down the via della rosa you know, such a wonderful story, especially during Lent. And and that's why we do those things is a visual sign and symbol. And actually, actually, that's what all the sacramentals, a whole nother topic, write this one down, Vic, the sacramentals of the church. That's why we do the incense. That's why we process with the crucifix that's why we process with the gospel that's why we do everything that we do that's why we like the candles on the altar that's i mean every each and every one of these things has a specific act just to be a visual sign and symbol and remind us of who really counts christ and that's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Mike, and, you you said you at, at the beginning you wanted to keep you wanted it's, this to also be fun and light. Let me tell you a kind of funny story about you. This. Just you just go ahead. <laughs> right right after right after I was ordained a priest in our denomination, during the service, a priest wears a crucifix, and, as part of the service to remind the people, and to remind ourselves that. We're there because of the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. Well, anyway, 
we are given a crucifix, a Bible, at the time of our consecration. They're, there's, they're actually hand these out to the person, and you, you put it on, you take a hold of it as part of your ordination to the priesthood. Well, after I was ordained a priest, I went with my wife, Sharon, to one of her family get-togethers, and I had my clerics on, and I had my crucifix. And one of Sharon's relatives came up to me and says, is that a real crucifix? <laughs> I mean, think about that. <laughs> as, is, as opposed is to those real crucifixes? Crucif I mean... <laughs> it's not the real crucifix. It's the but... real crucifix. Is it a real crucifix? Is that a real is it... crucifix? I, I mean, what is real. a fake crucifix? <laughs> that, that's, <laughs> I mean... that's what immediately jumped into. The that's fake what... ones, if you flip them over, they say made in Taiwan on they the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they usually do. <laughs> uh, hold on, guys. Josh has something he wants to share. That's a real crucifix? <laughs> That's a good story. I like that. <laughs> it's another quote. I've been on, I have a copy of the uh, the Catechism of the Council of Trends that I've been reading and um, stumbled upon another quote on their section on transubstantiation. It's uh, a quote from St. Ambrose. It says, you see how efficacious are the words of Christ. If the word of the Lord Jesus is so powerful as to summon into existence that which did not exist, namely the world, how much more powerful is his word to change into something else that which has already existed? Yeah, I know for me, I, it, it's, it's never been a question of, is it possible? Right? It, the my faith says that anything you know christ god anything that they want to do that's it's possible for it to transubstantiation all of it right i i, I remember having having this discussion about exodus and it was someone and they said what do you really think that the plagues the the waters parted and all that stuff and i'm like why not right you're talking about god here right you're, it's not like you're talking about you know some kid that stands on the corner it's the creator of all things they can do whatever they want so it's the ability for it to be like this was never the question you know for me it's just a question of whether is that what's happening or not and is it necessary for it to be that way or not those those are the questions that come into my mind about it, and and again, not having been raised Catholic, I have some good friends who are Catholic, you know, but uh, that's just where well, it is. Like I said, my my stance <clears throat> is very complicated because. Do I agree with everything that is going on in the Roman Catholic world? No, especially not as late. And I'll be the first to tell you, and I am not ashamed to say this, and I will stand out in the middle of Walmart in my underwear and shout this. 
Don't do that. No, please wait a don't. Hold on, wait a minute. No, 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 no. no, no. We don't want to picture that. Uh, I said that to break up the monotony, but I will be the first to say that, and and God forgive me for what I'm about to say, but it's in my heart, so I might as well just go ahead and say it. I think Francis is a heretic. And uh, we can talk a about why Catholic bishops like that too. Well, we can yeah. we can talk about why later, and especially we can talk about the three cardinals that he just dismissed. Never mind. I need to hush. Uh, uh, one cardinal, two bishops. Josh corrected me, but at any rate, but even even Father P Frank Pavone, who Bob and I know personally, uh, it. it the guy's lost his mind. But anyway, I don't care if you're Roman Catholic. I don't care if you're Protestant. At the end of the day, I'm going to go back once again and say that the only thing that matters is Christ. <clears throat> but, but I lost my train of thought. I do that every now and then. What was I about to say, Josh? <laughs> anyway, I guess that's all that needed to be said. But well, let uh, me ask a question. Go um, ahead. Father that'll Mills, probably, maybe. That'll, that'll probably. Wills, maybe you can help me with this. You, you were mentioning some of the earlier writings. Yes. At what point did this become a division in the church at what point did there become let's say two different ways of talking about the experience of the eucharist okay when it when it comes to augustine uh, i'm going to very quickly hand this over to father bob but when it comes to augustine he was he was a student of Luke, I think, or one of, or one of the, or maybe Peter. Uh, you know, Father Bob will clear all this up for me. Uh, I'm no, sorry, no, Father Bob, your your student is uh, letting you down right now. <laughs> but anyway, Augustine was there. Okay, so that's why when I say that, if it's not in Holy Scripture, if the Holy Spirit doesn't speak, we go to the Church Fathers. Because the church fathers, speaking of the first 12, were there, okay? And so the people, the very first generation that came after the quote-unquote apostles that some believe, unfortunately, that only matters. Uh, I hate that point of view, but anyway... anyway well, uh, you understand that point of view, though, right? Oh, yes. Yes, you I get do. get why. Yeah. Because but, but the closer they, you are to the source, yeah. the less diluted the message. No, I'm talking about that people believe that the first 12 were the only 12. There's that oh. point of view, too. Yeah. Oh, okay. And yeah, no, that I is, don't. That is, that is crazy. So so we're I'm talking about the people that were there that learned from the 12. And we have... We have that education, that revelation, which has been handed down from generation to generation called apostolic succession. However, unfortunately, um, 
after a period of time, the enemy worms his way in and deceives just like he did in the garden. Did God really say? And so that's a point that we have to look at. And so especially around the Council of Nicaea 325, that's where the ultimate, you know what, hit the fan. Especially, but with there was Arianism. really no argument. There was really no argument as to the real presence of Christ in that, though. No, no, but that's where the division started, so to speak. Well, no, not really. Not on, okay. not on this topic, though. No, no, I, I, not, I, not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not talking about this topic. I'm talking about the divinity of Christ, and and once and once you start and once you start. Uh, doubting the divinity of Christ, then you start doubting his presence in Holy Eucharist. And so with that being said, I'm going to turn it over to the expert. Go ahead, Bob. But I think Dave, Dave is saying, Dave is, is, David's saying that a lot of churches believe in the divinity of Christ that mm -hmm. don't believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Isn't that right, David? Am I Correct. putting words yes. in your mouth? No, that's, that's absolutely yeah. right. The the only disagreement in the early church on the presence of Christ was during the Pelagian controversy, and that was basically over an issue of, do we need the sacrifice of Christ to be saved, or can we be saved by imitating Christ in his good works? And it's basically a works versus faith, you know, kind of argument, okay? So, and of course, if you, if you don't need Christ, then you, of course, you don't need his presence and you don't need the Eucharist and that sort of thing. But that was ruled a heresy and the church basically got over that. You didn't have another big problem on the, you had a lot of disagreements in the church as to the nature of Christ and as to uh, whether Christ was mostly human mostly divine mm, right neither or but but the real argument over the real presence of christ comes about in the in the reformation now martin luther actually believed in the real presence of christ he looked at it a little different than the roman catholic church he used the term constance constance substantiation instead of transubstantiation and he explained it a little differently and really, it's a, it's a, the argument is semantic. It, I right, don't, I don't see the real. That's where point it's of it. uh, transubstantiation is where it changes into the physical body of Christ. Consubstantiation is both are present, right? Is that right? Yeah, more or less. And, no, and, no. And then you or have, do. I have that wrong? Okay. Well, constipation is this, and that's where the. And see, that's where I wish this word would have never entered into the whole argument. Because even with transubstantiation, let me put it to you this way. We believe that during the Eucharistic prayer, when the priest says, sanctify this to be for your people the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, and sanctify us also, that we may receive this holy sacrament in unity, constancy, and peace. We believe at that time that the host and the wine becomes 
the real presence of Christ, even though, even though, not counting the miracles that people have seen, including myself, firsthand. I mean, it. The only thing that I could do that day was cry. I cried the whole rest of the service. I could barely make it through the mass. It. I mean, I was spiritually overwhelmed. But at any rate, although it appears to be physically still a host, still a glass of wine, okay, but we believe that, it, that the real presence of Christ has become, and I'll use the word active, upon right. these elements. That's what we believe but what's the uh, so you mentioned but you said constance uh, substantiation well, well, constipation is is a explanation of what i just told you to reason away transubstantiation right. I mean, what, what luther said is that concept <laughs> consubstantiation means the coexistence of exactly. the physical nate or the physical substance of the bread and the wine with the divine substance of Christ. <clears throat> and, and okay. It, I, that's what I thought. It's yeah, they're both yeah, they yeah, both yeah. exist. Right. But, Whereas but, transubstantiation but, says it looks like bread, but the bread's not there anymore. But they're both one and the same. Exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't well, even know. I don't even. Is. I don't even know why they came up with the second term because well, it's, I think it's because Luther was pissed off, but. Well, that, well, I'm and, and I'm going to say this in defense of Luther. Do I agree with every action that he made? No, but did he have every right to be pissed off at that? Sure, time? he did. Yes, hell yes, he did. I mean, the Pope was corrupt, just like the one we got. Oh, shut up, Mike. I'm sorry, Father Wills. I didn't mean to take us on a whole tangent. I just <laughs> no, didn't understand no. the difference in the well, two. I love this. I love <laughs> I mean, this. Go ahead. Go ahead, Bob. What, what what happened? What happened, David? Was during the Reformation, you had the Anabaptist groups, and the, those eventually morphed into the Mennonites and the Amish and groups like that, and then you had some of the followers of Luther and some of the followers of Calvin that became so antagonistic toward the Roman Catholic Church that they wanted to do away with all of the practices of the church. In other words, this whole Luther mess was not Luther's did. fault. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then you had Zwingli, who basically said, we need to get rid of everything that looks Roman Catholic. And... <clears throat> As time went on, that's how this controversy got started. It really got started over the issues that Martin Luther raised, and eventually the Roman Catholic Church actually reformed itself and dealt with those issues. But the Protestant people moved further and further away. They, they kept going. They didn't just stop where Luther and Calvin were. They they kept moving further away from Rome, and up to the point that, like Mike said earlier in the in the meeting, and I experienced this when I was a kid too. Uh, the pastors were actually teaching that the Pope was the Antichrist, and that 
the Roman Catholic Church was the harlot and all this kind of thing. Um, there was actually, they were actually teaching animosity toward and trying to keep the schism, if you will, going and widening between Rome and, and Protestantism. And that, that has, that's still going on today. Mm -hmm. uh, it is. That's still going on. You know, um, we're not, there's nobody really trying to bring the churches together. It's more bring them apart. The, the movement to bring them together, unfortunately, is bring them together under popular culture, which is even more yes. heretical. You know, I mean, yeah, it's not I doing mean, anybody any good. Church, yeah, let, let's not bring the churches together, you know, under the auspices of transgenderism and gay marriage and all this. Let's not do that. That's even going the wrong way. But that's right. unfortunately where the ecumenical movement has gone to. Uh, other than that, the church is pushing each other further apart. And so they're they're encouraging these disputes or these splits when when in reality, again, I, I think it's it's really kind of foolish to even try to explain some of this and to be arguing about it because ultimately it comes down to nobody really understands it fully. I'll be honest yeah. with you. I don't understand how the how the bread and the wine becomes the body and blood of Christ. It just does. I don't even try to understand it. I just say it is. Uh, just like I don't understand how did Christ save me when I when I was born again. How did that happen? I have no idea. I don't understand it. I just know it did. It happened. You see, that's how the... does baptism? What is, what is the point of baptism? How do how do we explain that? Well, it just is. You know, it just yeah. is. The Bible says it is. I mean, we can't explain everything. And the more we delve into the explanation and get into the weeds and, and the minutia of everything, the more we're splitting ourselves apart. Well, and, and this is something that we have discussed multiple times, Father Mike and I, and and this is part of the problem. You know, he 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 tells me that I I make things complicated, right? And I do. It's the way I think, right? I want to understand. And my point is that it is complicated for all these reasons, right? Here, all the reading that you've done, all the studying, all the prayer. All the experiences you've been through, and there are still things that you don't understand. Oh, yeah. And then oh, you yeah. have, you know, your average parishioner, your average layman out there goes to a church that their parents went to, and they say, hey, hold this snake, and if it doesn't bite you, you're saved, or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever crazy religion you've got out there. Well, let me and, just go ahead and, and tell you. And people just don't. They don't have the time to look into or understand or do the research on what the history of the church is. Exactly. Right. But but let me go ahead and tell you this. If I ever hand you a snake, <laughs> call me a dumbass. <laughs> Was it is that the uh is that the Pentecostals that do that? What's uh, what's the no, no, what they don't, don't know. What are the ones that hold the snakes? They're the holiness people in the there, well, there uh, is yeah. a there unfortunately is a that's unfortunately that's where JJ's from. 
<laughs> they are. I, they're in the mountains. Right? I've been to one of those churches. <laughs> I, I, so I, we'll ask JJ I, about that one. <laughs> did you hear well, what I did you hear what I said? Yeah, no. you said you've been to one. I think I, you said I, that before. You yeah, I've been to one. one. What's that? You have been no, to one of those? Yes, I've been to one of those churches. No, you haven't. Yes, I have. Oh, tell us about it. <laughs> Here we go. Well, it was in it's in Kentucky. Uh, my sister lives uh, outside of Lexington in um, <clears throat> a tiny little town called Carlisle. Well, if you go even farther out than Carlisle, you'll get to little towns like Berea, these little tiny towns. And in those towns, they have these churches, these let's put God to the test kind of churches. And they, <laughs> they have, they've got some, uh, they have rattlesnakes. You know, they... They claim to be drinking poison. Why? I don't know. Look, I, I went because I was curious. I sat, I, I stayed in the back. I talked to as few people as I could. And aside from the snakes and the poison, it was just like any other uh, holiness Pentecostal kind of church. You know, lots and lots of speaking in tongues, lots and lots of rolling on the floor, lots and lots of jumping up and down. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, I thought it was Pentecostal. You know, not the, all Pentecostals. The, the the most entertaining part of the service was this little old preacher. Uh, remember Pappy Yoakum? Anybody here besides Father Will remember Pappy Yoakum <laughs> in, in Little Abner? You know, just this tiny little country guy. He's nine hundred and fifty years old. This big old white beard. He comes out and he he starts preaching. He's preaching, and he just gets more and more intense and more and more intense. 30 minutes, 45, an hour, hour and a half, two hours. And this little guy is still going full strength and getting more and more and more uh, in the spirit as he goes. And finally, I guess there were deacons. Two deacons just had to come out and sort of pick him up. And... <laughs> You know, take him off the stage and you know, uh, listen, uh, <laughs> you know, the brother Wilson does a great service, but we're hungry. Uh, <laughs> it, it was, it was, it was entertaining. I bet. And they, and Vic, they, hey, Vic, yeah, can I, can I interject a funny point right now? Sure. Some people ask us why our, uh, Service starts at uh, 10 a.m. instead of 11 a.m. Yeah. My answer is always so we can beat the Baptist to the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. That's a good reason. <laughs> Mike, don't you remember when we were prayer mm -hmm. out and there was one time a camp meeting where they kept going on and on and on and somebody came the next day and said, we missed it last night. What did the preacher preach about? And everybody basically looked at him and said, about two hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Vic. Finish your story. That's man. a story. I mean, they, they, they looked at me strangely Yeah. when I came in. One little man came up and said something to me like, um, well, we, we hope you find the Lord or something like that. They just kind of assumed that I was a heathen. <laughs> Did they hand you a snake? 
They did not hand me a snake. If they had, I would not have taken said snake. <laughs> well, that's, that's, I mean, that, oh, heck no. If you ever see me handling a snake, I'm demon possessed. Well, look, I know there's one Bible verse that, sings, that says something like, uh, do not put the Lord to the test. Do not put the Lord to the test. Yes. And but but there's also a Bible verse that says that you'll tread on snakes and scorpions. Mm-hmm. And what that's really translated to be is what this podcast and what you guys know me to be. The snakes and the scorpions are angels and demonic spirits. So uh, if you have to once again to being illuminated by God's word before you take something like, oh, I'm going to take up this snake. I will never forget there was an episode. There used to be a TV show about that snake salvation or serpent salvation or something like that on A&E or some kind of channel, and it, and it showcased these guys from the Appalachians, from, the, from Tennessee and Kentucky about handling snakes. <laughs> and... And uh, I hate, guys, hear my heart. I really hate to make light of this, but it, 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 was, it was very serious. Uh, uh, this church couldn't find enough rattlesnakes for this year. So they went out and found water moccasins, too. And so this, this hearsay pastor pisses off this water moccasin in the middle of a church service and gets bit. Well, they all pray over him, which they've done in the past, and, oh, God's going to save his life. Well, let, just let me tell you, God's going to only bless you for so long for being stupid. First and foremost, yeah, I said that. You can record it in time that Father Michael Birdsong said, you're stupid if you're handling snakes. And and then and then and then secondly, the snake killed him. Yeah, I don't I don't even know what kind of and venom a water moccasin has. I don't know if it's a neurotoxin well, or a. It's, I I want to say it's hemotoxin. Hemotoxin, okay. Versus versus okay. the neotoxin. Yeah. But at, <clears throat> but but at any rate, that's not the point. The point is, is you're picking up a deadly animal or reptile. Mm-hmm. What sense does that make? Mm-hmm. Zero. <laughs> Hello. So, so th- there go uh, Father Mike 101 tonight. If you make zero cents, you're going to get zero cents results. So, <laughs> I'd, like, but, I'd like to say two things. Go if ahead. I can. I've been pretty quiet. The, um, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had. Well, first off, for some reason, I tend to run into militant atheists. Um, maybe it's the circles I hang around in. Maybe it's just we my... need one on the show for decent, decent, decent. Let me say it one more time: decent, decent conversation. Well, that's the problem. I I don't know anybody who's in the militant atheist camp who can go an hour and a half without getting angry. I don't know a single one, okay? So pretty soon they're going to be screaming at you. Pretty soon they're going to be, you know, accusing you of being an utter idiot, this kind of thing. Eh, it kind of breaks down at that point. 
<laughs> would make for a short rundown. Yeah, it kind of kind of makes for a short rundown. Yeah, it really does. But <laughs> uh, but but anyway, one of the things that I've had a lot of people, even <clears throat> Baptists, um, other people in other churches, they get angry at the whole idea of transubstantiation. I mean, they get mad. <laughs> You know, and and they'll say things to me like, "How could you believe something so incredibly stupid? How could you not believe it?" <laughs> the whole purpose of this podcast, right now. How could you not well, believe it? But they do. They get really. Go ahead. This is the problem. This is the problem. Is the problem of you are fed the information from a trusted source. On what you should believe. <clears throat> and this is why I go back and forth and say, well, I may make things complex, but I'm trying to understand <laughs> the truth of it. Right. Because there are implications to different beliefs. And there are so many different beliefs out there. And everybody's confident in their <clears throat> belief. Right. And that's the very reason why it there there, there there's been many times that David and I have spoken that I'm reminded once again of the words that I taught to St. Michael's when I fully took over in 2007. I don't want you to take my word for everything. I want you to search God and research his scripture for yourself to know that what I'm teaching you is to inspire you, not to sway you. Does that even make sense? That, even that is a challenge, though. Oh, yeah, it Because is. you it look is. at Scripture, and Scripture is not yep. simple either. But, right? but Some of these things can be, you can look at, you know, in remembrance of me as yeah. one thing or another. You can look at... Some things, because some things are clearly allegorical yeah. and some aren't, you know, you have literalists who it's like everything is word for word. It's exactly what it says, exactly what it means. And it's complicated. But but in our in our church, David, and part of the reason why I say that, look it up for yourself, is to bring up those questions that you're talking about that are complicated. That's good. But to also encourage the people to go through the catechism classes that explains everything in our communion, in our communion, okay, from A to Z. We can explain those questions. We can discuss those questions just like we're having tonight our catechism classes are just like the podcast that we're having tonight it's questions and answering and the whole the the purpose is to give everyone a greater knowledge of the divinity of the trinity and the sacraments and the sacramentums from a to z To, to have you have a greater knowledge when you leave than what you had when you came in, in mm -hmm. other words. And, and that, is, that is so important because, because there's so many, there's, it, it breaks my heart sometimes 
And the only reason why I say that Christians make Christianity complicated is because, well, frankly, some of the some of the church has failed to teach. So here's the thing. If you go to a good Baptist church, Southern Baptist church, mm -hmm. all right, I won't, mm -hmm. other Baptists are all mixed, but Southern Baptist is more consistent than others. Right. Um, you go to Sunday school, mm -hmm. right? You go to Bible study mm -hmm. during the week. You're going to get similar things. You're going to get teaching out of that. Mm -hmm. But what they don't have as much of, some do, but not as much, is that deep history right. of the foundation of the church. And that, and, that, and that is because of, unfortunately, David, schisms for number one, and number two, no teaching before Luther number two, and no teaching after Zwigli, number three. So that causes, that causes, and I hate to, I, oh, I hate to use the word Protestantism, uh, but that is where Protestantism comes to fail because it cuts out five of the seven sacraments. And I'd like to hear Father Wills that, on this real quick. That, that David, what you're going to find is that any teaching that a church does is going to teach the bias and the doctrines of what the leadership of that church believes. Mm -hmm. That's basically what, what you're going to get. So if you go to a Methodist teaching, you're going to get the teaching of what the, not necessarily what the founder of Methodism believed, but what the current right. church leaders of Methodism believe. Yes. If you go to a Pentecostal yeah. church, like the Pentecostal Holiness Church of God, something like that, you're going to get a teaching of what the current leadership of those churches believe, not necessarily the founders of that church, okay? Correct. The same thing in almost every church that you come to, because and, and preaching, most preaching... There's very little preaching that just sticks straightly to the scripture. Most preaching involves also the personality of the preacher and the teaching and personal beliefs of the preacher coming into play. In a lot of churches, they try to minimize that but you're still going to get it a little bit. Like if you go through the catechism in the CEC, like Father Mike's talking about, you're going to get basically the teaching that our bishops acknowledge and believe and what our theological commission has said is sound theology. Okay? Now, a Baptist theological commission would probably not think that was sound theology, if you understand what I'm saying. So oh, yeah. what we ultimately what we ultimately have to do and this is what i had to do in my walk with the lord hold had, on bob hold on hold on hold, hold on bob before you go any further let me interject one point on our theological uh committee our canon theologians 
they are of one mind, one body, and one spirit. Okay. And let me explain why I say that, because I meet with them every year as well at Father Bob's home as a layman, so to speak. But they all come from different backgrounds. So we're, we're not all from the same genre, so to speak. So that's why we say that we can be one and, and well, we're all, we all come from different backgrounds. So we don't have any irons in the pot, so to speak. Well, David, what we're trying to do is we're a three streams church. We believe in evangelical, Pentecostal, and sacramental. Right. So we, we are evangelical in the belief about salvation as much as the Baptists. We are charismatic as much as the hardcore Pentecostals, except for the, the snake business. The snakes. Uh, other than that. <laughs> Uh, and we are more Catholic than the present Pope is uh, in terms of our sacramental beliefs. So, but this that, is the that's difficulty. not a tremendous brag we're at this point. To come up with, we're <laughs> trying a low to come bar. up with a team that balances these things, and sometimes it's very difficult to come up with a teaching that, let's say, balances out what the what the evangelical Protestants believe, with what the Charismatics believe, with what the the Orthodox and Roman Catholic Church would believe. In other words, we're imagine. trying to synthesize this to to what does the Bible really say? And and again, the only way we can do this, David, and this is on. I I mean, I know it's hard, and people aren't going to do it, but the only real way to do this is you've got to look at it like Vincent of Liren said by antiquity, universality, and consensus. You gotta say, okay, what did the church believe in the original days of the church, in the earliest days of the church? What did the church believe in almost every place where the church was established over the last 2000 years? And what does the church now believe that I'm a part of and, and how do we then bring this all together and reconcile it and come up with an understanding that we can live with? I think personally, this is why the scripture says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I don't think he was talking about salvation in the terms of being born again. I think he's talking about working out your own theology that you can live with. Work out a theology that you can live with, that you feel comfortable with that you have a relationship with god and you don't uh you don't have any doubts and any um heretical beliefs that are just out of uh, out of the out of the ballpark one more one more thing might help you understand this in a football field the field is 100 yards long and it's so wide there are boundaries however Within the church, there has always been a large field to play in, but there are boundaries. What we got to be very careful of is that we don't cross the boundaries. The boundaries are the boundaries that bring us into unbelief and heresy, mm -hmm. really false, false teaching, okay? We, we got to be sure we don't cross the boundaries. Within the field, there is plenty of room 
for disagreement, for different beliefs, but they're not on major issues that affect one's salvation or one's relationship to God. They affect mostly our own personal spirituality and how we relate to God. And the point is, we all have to come up with a personal way that we relate to God, what we believe, and make sure that our beliefs are in the boundary, make sure that our beliefs are in the field of play, okay? And that they are based on antiquity, universality, and consensus. Does that make sense? That makes sense. The uh, can, can you tell me what verse that quote was from? By chance about uh, working on your own salvation? Oh, um, no. My mind's lost it. I'll find it, Dave. It, uh, yeah, what's that? I, okay. Ask what's Josh that, David? To find that. You talking about the scripture of work out your that. own salvation? Where St. Paul said about working out your own salvation. It was in the letters, okay. Yeah, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, he's looking it up right now. But that, but with that being said, that I can is find it a, from that. That's a very key point for tonight. And, and, and see, once again, that's, that's the whole reason of this podcast tonight, why I wanted to bring it up, is because we, we can take one word and be divided when actually, you know what? We need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. What was it? Philippians 2.12. Philippians 2.12. That's it. Mm-hmm. Read that. Read that. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Is that not what we've been talking about all night? I think so. to, to To get to that point, to get to that point to where, you know what? The trivial, the trivial stuff doesn't matter. We make the trivial stuff a matter of salvation itself and cast judgment at times. Not, not us. Okay. But, 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 but if you look at a lot of the church in a broad spectrum, well, just because you don't believe this way. Or differences in the church go by this exactly and we need to get back to the point of what saint paul just said you know what the only thing that really matters is number one that you join together because the scripture also tells us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together but to also you know what you need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and not worry about what everybody else is doing have yeah. you ever wondered what and it'd that's... be? I'm sorry, Dave. Go ahead. Well, uh, let me let me finish this thought, and then I'll I'll hand it over to you, Vic. The this comes down to these divisions in the church has come down to two things, really. Uh, and this goes for modern day too. You have people who have been told one thing, believe it beyond its, uh, uh, any doubt because that's what they were told to believe and they see somebody doing something different and they want the scripture to say, don't do that. 
That's and, one. And that is part of the reason why the early the early Catholic Church failed. Mm-hmm. The early Roman Catholic Church failed because the the and see this was part of Luther's argument is that the only person that had authority to interpret the scripture was the Pope. They told the people what they were to believe. Mm-hmm. Right. The people never knew the scripture. Never knew the until, scripture until Luther. So, so the second aspect of that is is people who want to do something, and so they twist the scripture to say that they can do it. Right, you, you're twisting the scripture on both ends of that. People who say. I was told you can't do this. Oh, and here's the verses that support it. And if I read them this way, you can't do that. Don't be bad. Right. (laughs) And the other person saying, I want to do something else. And if I take this scripture over here and I read it this way, oh, I can do that. So I'm going to do what I want. Those uh, that is like half or more of the splits. If you ask me that. But what would happen? What would happen if you. What would happen if you took the scripture and you said, okay, how did the church originally understand this scripture? The the part of the church to which it was written. That's what I'm trying to get at. How has the church understood this over the last 2,000 years in every place? How did they understand it in Ethiopia? How did they understand it in Greece? How did they understand it in India? How did they understand it in Spain and Portugal? How did they understand it? And then how does the church understand it today in most of the churches? How, how are they looking at it? In other words, that's how, we, that's how we avoid this personal interpretation of Scripture. And, it's the today part the that's the problem. And yeah. that, that, well, that, that is also... Do that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's also the reason why we... And I'm not trying to promote our communion, but that's why we in our communion embrace the charismatic, the evangelical, and the sacramental. All the three streams, all the three rivers that you read about in Genesis, and we're not perfect. We are, oh my God, we're not perfect. We failed so many blooming, anyway, but... (laughs) That's not much uh, of a sales pitch, that, Father Mike. We are. We're, 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 no, no, we have we <laughs> no, no, we have failed big time, and uh, uh, God spanked us. But however, that's why we are who we are because we're trying to bring all these things back together, but we're also trying to build a. Father Bob, correct me if I'm wrong, okay? But we're also trying to build a bridge between the people and God themselves once again, not just to listen to what the priest says, as in the early church history of Rome, but to but to take what the priest says and also take it under the responsibility of your own life in the charismatic, in the evangelical, in the liturgical or sacramental, and 
learn it yourselves as well. And here's the reason why. We are trying to portray the point, or I am at St. Michael's in Thomaston, Georgia. This is my vision, is to teach the people how to seek God for themselves in all three streams and in order. To stay in the boundaries. Is that no, yeah, because, because one of the re, one of the ways if, we do this, if there's not order, there's chaos, right? Yep. You know, one of the ways we do this is we have the daily office, and I give all of my parishioners one of these calendars every day. They are reading an Old Testament scripture, an epistle, a psalm, and a gospel reading, and all of our churches, all of our people whether it's in Father Mike's church, mine, or one of our churches in Africa, they are all encouraged to read the same scripture that day. Hmm. And so everybody's reading the same scripture. Nobody's interpreting the scripture to them. They're reading it. We, we, we encourage them to read it out of at least two different translations. Nice. And, 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 and we guys, encourage them to read it. I'll just go and tell you this. The... The church in Africa, there's going to become a time very soon that we will be the mission field and not Africa. From Africa, yeah. Vic, back to you. It's I'm sorry. Happening. What I have to say is so trivial compared to what you guys are talking about, <clears throat> but it's something that I have found myself thinking about more and more lately. <clears throat> and that probably most of my Bible reading in the last six months has been letters of Paul and I just find myself occasionally thinking what would it be like to be on a 10 hour flight with Paul in the next seat (laughs) that would be freaking awesome well I'm not sure Uh, (laughs) you might walk away from that flight not feeling so good he may spank me I may cry but that would be awesome. Yeah, go ahead. Spank me. Make me cry. I mean, all right, y'all behave yourself. Well, I don't, I don't uh, think Paul Josh. pulled many punches. Uh, in fact, I know no, he didn't. He didn't pull any punches in the letters. Uh, so I'm assuming he didn't pull any punches anywhere. Sorry to be so trivial. That's no. not trivial at all. It's a, <laughs> it's a great thought experience. What does Paul want, tell you? I want you? you to continue on with the thought. Oh, that, that, no, Vic. That's the that's Continue the, on with the thought. That's oh, the that's total culmination of the thought. Other than, okay. <clears throat> uh, I believe <laughs> that if he didn't tell me, hey, look, I'm on my flight. Shut up. I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Which some people do. Um, you'd come away a different person. Yeah. Well, we have gone to. Two hours and 25 minutes. Yes, so we need to bring this to an end, but this has been a very pleasing podcast. This is exactly what I was looking for. And uh, before before we end, and before I have any last uh, comments, I want to open it up for uh, you guys that may have any ending thoughts. So, I mean... Any thought is welcome. Any closing, any closing words, gentlemen? 
<clears throat> I'm going to go secular for a second. <laughs> secular literature. Have you ever read a novel called Dandelion Wine? No, send it to me. Where I can look it up. <laughs> you can look it up. I'll, I'll, I've got copies of it, but have you, okay. Dave, read Dandelion Wine? Nope. My grandfather used to make it, though. Mm -hmm. Hello. Ray Bradbury wrote Dandelion Wine. It's, okay. It's a story, essentially, of his childhood, told in Bradbury style, which means that it's beautiful and brilliant and poignant and makes you think about things in a way that you've never thought about them before. Well, there's a... There are, there are scenes in books, there are chapters in books that I can't read out loud because I can't read the chapter without crying. <laughs> and, and one of the chapters is in Dandelion One, where it's, it's uh, Doug Spaulding and his brother and their dad, and they're out pick, picking what they call fox grapes. I'm not quite sure what a fox grape is, but obviously it's some kind of berry that people go out and they... And they pick. And the, the chapter is, <clears throat> the reason I'm talking about this is because the little girl reminded me of, of this. Doug suddenly becomes aware of some presence, some feeling, some sound, some force. And he doesn't know what it is. And he's kind of, at first, afraid of this. And he, you know, decides to open himself up just a little bit to figure out what it is. And... Over time, he starts to become more comfortable, more comfortable, more comfortable. And then what he realizes is that this is the first time in his life that he's ever truly understood that he was alive. And that, <clears throat> that totally changed his view of himself and his dad and his brother in the world. And I, I kind of think maybe that little girl was experiencing something similar. What what do you think it may have felt? And I know we're trying to close, but I, I just have to ask the question because that, that, that story kind of touched me. What what do you think that little girl may have felt that for the first time this person felt alive? That that's a that's a well, That's quite a statement to finally feel alive. Well, I think what Doug was talking about, or <clears throat> because Ray Bradbury is talking about himself. Doug is Ray. The, Doug is the childhood Ray mm -hmm. Bradbury. You know, I think what he's talking about is that moment in life when you are no longer living automatically. Where, okay, morning, time to get up, get some breakfast, take a bath, go to school. You never think about these things. You never, as a child, unless you're really weird like I am, you don't you don't feel these things. It's just routine. Go on and go on and go on. Well, at some point, well, that's I'm 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 just going to go ahead and ask you now to add feeling alive for a topic for the paranormal rundown. Okay, so that wasn't a wasted uh, thought. No, that's 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 very interesting. I <clears throat> want to discuss that. So yeah. Anyway, that's um, there just becomes a point. There comes a point when one is aware, maybe of the fact that you have some ability to control your life. Maybe that you have free will. Maybe that you are connected in a way that is not just immediately evident. 
Um, some people never figure this out. Was very, I'm always very uncomfortable around those people. But some yeah. people never do figure this out. That's, that's very interesting. That is the limit of Victor Lang wisdom at 11, no, at 12 a.m. There you go. Uh, <laughs> David? I, I guess, you know, the last thoughts for me is, is I'm not sure that uh, I leave the conversation feeling any more strongly one way or another about the Eucharist than, than entering it. <clears throat> other than go. having some more information and especially hearing more about the history of it, which was really good for me. But you um, know who matters the most? Yes. Christ. Yes. Yeah. And I, you know, I still stand by, by what I said at the beginning, which is that there is a, there is a reverence in Catholic churches with the mass that you, <clears throat> that you get that I think that there is, there's also things in the, the Protestant churches you get in the sermons that you don't get as much of in, mm -hmm. in going to That's a mass uh, that has something beautiful to it, too. So it's literally like the best of both worlds is having that deep sermon with a mass as part of it. Maybe Absolutely. not every Sunday, but certainly more frequent than, you know, once a month or four mm -hmm. times a year or however mm -hmm. often. Well, I mean, there are Catholic priests who can give a Baptist minister a run for their money. Oh. <laughs> I'd like to hear them. Come, come to Thomas, I, you know, I Georgia. Do. No, I do hear stuff on uh, Georgia, YouTube David. sometimes. <laughs> yeah, come to Thomas, not too far. <laughs> it's a little far for a Sunday drive, though. I know, I know. <laughs> All right. Father Bob, any final words? Well, I, I think uh, one thing we talked about today that's very important is that we need more teaching in churches about why we practice certain things and why we believe certain things. Um, I'll just share one other thing here. One time I had a, a Roman Catholic guy came to our church. He says, your church looks just like my church. You even have a sanctuary light. He said, why do you have a sanctuary light? My priest would never tell me what it is. I just know we have one, but he never explained it to me. Can you explain it to me? So I explained it to him. And then it hit me. A lot of churches aren't. They may be practicing the same thing we're practicing, and they may not be, but they're not explaining it. They're not teaching their people. And so I would say whatever group we're a part of, we need to be sure that our people are being trained and taught in a way that helps them to develop their deeper faith with God. Well, you know, I, I know what you're talking about right now, but for those that may not know where the sanctuary light is, please go ahead and explain that to them where they know what you're talking about. Well, we have, <laughs> we have reserved sacrament that is put aside in a special little case or box or whatever you want to call it that we call a tabernacle, tabernacle. tabernacle. yeah and, <clears throat> and it's kept for a time when someone needs to receive the body and blood of christ 
and it's not during a major service, or it may be when a priest is not present and a deacon has to serve it or something like that. And so the sanctuary light is a light that's lit to show that there is reserved sacrament and to remind everybody that this is a church in which you can always receive the body and blood of Christ. And uh, so that does tie into what we've been talking about, because if we have and believe in the body and blood of Christ, then we have some setback for emergency situations or for contingencies that are held back and put in a special cabinet with a sanctuary light that is saying to the world, you can receive the body and blood of Christ here. We have it here for you. Case in point, uh, case in point, this this past Sunday, as you guys know, I was in a state of my physical self that I I, I, I couldn't, literally couldn't do mass could not day. walk. Yeah. I literally could not walk. <clears throat> and uh, Josh, and I hate to brag on him when he's right in front of me, but he he took the bull by the horns handled the whole service by himself and had a deacon's mass with the elements that I have previously consecrated unto the Lord. So that's what the light is all about. If, In other words, if, if that little light is on, it means that there is consecrated elements of the host and wine for the people of the body of Christ. So, but, and, and, and I'll just go ahead and say this. I received many, many text messages after the service that Josh did such a great job. So you guys would be proud of him. But, uh, Absolutely. but at, at, at any rate. Uh, that does make me think of one, one other thought. Yes, and I sir. thought of it earlier than I forgot about it. Okay. You know, when you talk about consecrating the Eucharist and then it's it's changed, it's forever changed. Right. Right. As the real presence. I guess, you know, from some perspective, that should not be all that surprising to me because I use holy water. Mm-hmm. on a regular basis there you go same point right and same point. you know i have seen the effects that holy water have had in my life with the demonic so i know there is something about that that makes a difference mm-hmm. and I, I guess you know it's no different from that whether it's the physical body or christ's presence in it either way there is something changed about it i can get that that's well by the way, you know that uh, that's a great way. Ho- witches hold on, will Bob, try Bob, to get Bob. Bob, hold on, hold on. Yeah, David, you just said a mouthful. I'm if, glad if, I saved it to the end. Uh, no, I mean, <laughs> I mean that. My God, I want you to go back and listen to the words that you just. Whoa, what happened? Am I still going? Yeah, yeah. Everything yeah, yeah. went black all of a sudden. Uh, Why is it only on my episodes that we have so many <laughs> e- EVPs and, and man, and, I got to tell you, the EVPs have been running hot and heavy 
<clears throat> on your episode? I guess it's because we're an exorcist group. But anyway, <clears throat> uh, yeah, Bob, I'll, I will fill, I, Bob, I'll fill you in on all this later. But everyone, every episode that I'm a part of, or Josh, we have several demonic voices that comes forth. Uh, it's amazing sometimes. But at, but at any rate, the point that I was trying to make is 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 David, whether he realizes it or not, he just summed up the whole blooming two and a half hours in thirty seconds. Uh, so thank you, David, I had for my moments. making us look all like a bunch of babies. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm always happy. Uh, but, like, but Dave, Dave's but, done it. I can relax. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That, that's what I'm talking about. But but uh, what I want to do at this point in time, uh, since we talked about it just a couple of days ago, about inviting Father Wills to a paranormal rundown, I want to go ahead and uh, open that invitation now and uh, that we will be getting in touch with him over the next couple of weeks to join us and we would like to have him visit us on one of our episodes and see father bob here's here's the thing about the paranormal rundown i love it it's what it's what brought me in and um it is what causes me to say that these guys really care there's a lot of groups out there a lot of podcasts out there that don't care about the people but these this group of guys including jj um we care about the people and we know when to cut up and have a good time and we do that but yes, we, we also but we also know when to be serious but we we tend to take the serious and turn it into a positive to where our listeners are not walking away beating the hell out of themselves, if that makes sense to you. And uh, and these guys, Father Bob has, they have inspired me so much and encouraged me so much that I would I would say they they live the church they encourage me to keep going on because they 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 care about my chronic pain they care about my physical mental emotional and spiritual health and they have shown that to me and that's why I have no hesitation whatsoever to invite you to join us for an episode uh, or to many that comes. Um, but we would love to have you. We would love to have your insight. And, and on the Paranormal Rundown, well, you know what? I just need to hush for a minute and let Vic explain what the paranormal rundown is uh <clears throat> okay well i had this idea that 
I could put together a list of, and at first it was something like a hundred different topics, because I only thought it was going to be a hundred, a couple of tiny shows, list. tiny list of topics, <laughs> a tiny list. Because part of it has to do with the fact that, look, I'm, I'm Mensa and Triple Nine. I don't pay my dues anymore, but I am both of those things, and. <clears throat> Those are some of the most closed-minded people in the entire world. <laughs> in terms of, you're, you're simply trying to get them to talk about a topic seriously, and they've got in their mind a list of a thousand topics that they just can't talk about because it's not serious enough. There's no empirical evidence or this sort of thing. It drives me nuts. So I started putting together, and I'll send you the list, uh, Father Bob, of all of these different topics <clears throat> and i think it's up to about 1700 now <laughs> it grew a little bit it's up to about seven <laughs> i kind of became obsessed with it it's about 1700 and it's it's everything that i can think of that even is remotely paranormal and some of it is much more paranormal than others but the way we do the show is we i use excel just as a random number generator, and I generate a list of six topics, and we just read them out randomly, and then the group chooses one to talk about. Just no, no prep, no rehearsal, um, <clears throat> none, none of that at all, and it's tremendous. Which fun. is hard at times. Yeah, it's hard at times, but. Here, let me let me give you a, a sample. All right, so I don't like that one. <laughs> okay, let's see. We do that a lot too. We no, do that we a lot like too. That. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, topic one would be the conqueror worm, which was both a book and a movie and a whole idea back in the um, uh, Inquisition times. Uh, seemingly absurd statements, such as, we do not exist, time is not real, nothing is real, you have no free will, things like that. Psychic remnants of horrible traumatic events. <clears throat> um, afterlife and God are the two inextricably linked. Uh, people who marry rocks, cars, trees, and other non-human things. Uh, Hidden or occult, hidden books or movies. Things that have really existed, but they've tried to take them off of the market. So those are the six that just came up on this one, <laughs> this, this, this one roll of, the, see, of see, the dice. <laughs> Go ahead. One of the greatest things is that each and every one of those topics that you just came up with yeah. is right down Father Bob's alley. He loves <laughs> stuff like this. He loves discussing stuff like this. And he would, he's he's gonna make a a good episode with us. The well, beauty <laughs> of the rundown is Vic's got this great list, right? And he comes up with the topics, and we pick one, and we we stay on that topic for a couple of minutes, but then we take a tangent, and then a tangent of a tangent. And 45 minutes later, we've gone through about 15 different interesting topics and conversations. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah. well, we kind of run that out. Let's take another spin at it and grab That's another right. list, you know. So it's a it's a very wandering conversation through I love it. Uh, paranormal, philosophy, 
uh, our history, experiences, all of that. It's it's a lot of fun. It's, it's essentially all the things that I find interesting. Yep. Yep. I but yeah, we'd the, love to have you. I enjoy it big time. So, all right, Father well, Bob, I'm, final words. I'm actually insane and paranoid and a conspiracy theorist and all of these excellent various things. So you know, <laughs> that <laughs> makes you a perfect <laughs> guest. That's it, Father, Father Bob. I'll send you the link, and I think there's something else I was I was going to send you, but I have forgotten right this moment, and I'll remember it sometime. And I owe you, uh, I'm not sure I have a electronic copy of Dandelion Wine, <clears throat> but Thompson's got a library, I bet. <laughs> All right, guys. I bet Amazon has it. I oh, bet yeah. Amazon has it. Yep. All right, gentlemen, well, I think I'm going to call it call the end here and josh i'll there get you go i'll get the uh files up on high drive probably tomorrow morning you know it takes it about an hour and a half to download <laughs> and so anyway all right thank you uh father mike since this is your show anything you'd like to say at the end no uh the only thing that i would say that uh since this went over two and a half hours. Two shows. Uh, I would probably make this a two-part show. Yeah. Yep. If if that makes sense, it may be better mm -hmm. uh, not to overrun our listeners, but those who are uh, taking care of any editing. And I don't see that there should be a lot of editing tonight. Uh, but no, there shouldn't be. There, there's always some. I mean, uh, yeah, and especially with uh, EVPs, this comes through on every one of my blasted. We got to do a whole episode on that and and look. Through. Oh, I was going to send them some EVPs. Yeah, EVPs. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah, it. Send them some EVPs. We need to so. we need to do an episode on that and break it, or at least have a conversation on breaking each one down because uh, I'm getting tired of that mess. And I want I to stop it in the rear like end. Man, the, the, the last You mean episode, on this on this show or other episodes? No, the one that Josh did about his story. Yeah. Uh even after editing I left them in. I mean they're part of the story. There's a ton of them still there. Mm -hmm. And uh I would like to I would I you know, for me as a newcomer coming into this, um I would I would like to review that, and and Bob I'll just go ahead and tell you it's real, and see that that makes me uh, even more on the front lines of we're facing a spiritual warfare, and uh, well, I think there's no question there, and and I and I told Josh I think I may have I can't remember if you were in the group that I mentioned it on, but. Um, you know, I didn't even think about it with that episode he did. It makes perfect sense mm -hmm. to have issues after that. I agree. Um, and, you know, I told him to come to you. You need to do a little extra blessing of him in yes, the house. I will. I will. Um, that Yes. To sort of clear house, that out. Yes, I will. I, I will do that. Yeah. 
That makes But given the topic and given his history, the experience, yeah. it made perfect sense that that would be a a particularly uh rife with with that kind of stuff. Father Bob, I think I sent you that episode as well. Uh you may not have seen it yet, but I think I sent it to you. With uh, And if Josh- you guys want, we could do an episode where we take each of the possible ones mm-hmm. and we break them down and analyze. Well, is it, is it not? Look at the video, listen to the raw audio. That would be cool. And go through the process of what we do when we, when we do that. That could be well, interesting. Why don't you set that up? I would do that if I was you. Set that up and listen, and, and listen, and listen. Do we do it as like a behind uh, if, the scenes type uh, of thing. Yeah, if uh, we could do it behind the scenes of ending the curse, or mm-hmm. we could do it as a paranormal garage talk, so to speak. Um, but yes, if 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 Vic could get those together, that would be a great episode to go through. Okay. All right, Father Bob, any final words for you? No? No, go ahead. All right, Vic. Well, bring us to an end, my man, and let's get some rest. <laughs>